So with that being said, I want I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus 9, chapter 13, or verse 13. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And as you're opening there, I want to talk to you about moments with God. You know, God brings us into moments where we come face to face with him. I, I, I want to tell you a story of two people. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you a story of my friend John. His name is John Tuck. Uh, John, uh, a few years ago, about five years ago now, he had just gotten baptized. Uh, and after he had gotten baptized, uh, he went on a men's retreat, and they were playing these things called man games at this men's retreat. And uh, John is a uh, kind of a bigger guy. He he was he was heavy, and uh, he but all of his friends, all of these guys on this men's retreat, said, "Hey, John, uh, we're we want you to take this very high jump over this bar. It won't be a problem." Well, it turns out that that John's body wasn't really prepared to handle this jump, and when he landed, he actually broke his ankle in a pretty massive way. It incapacitated him for months. And this season, after he had been baptized, this season where he was incapacitated, he had to actually like change jobs. He, he had to, to step away from work for a little bit. It actually sent him into a season where he said, you know what I have to do? In this season, I have to seek after God. I have to pursue God. I have to dig deeper in my relationship with him. So when he did that, he actually ended up going to, to Moody Bible Institute for a season. He said, hey, I'm going to finish my bachelor's degree. And while he's there, somebody approaches him about a job, the job that he's in today, a job where he knows that he's fulfilling his purpose. So as he digs deeper into his relationship with God, gets to know God in a deeper way, he actually now today. So this is five years later. Today, what he does is he he works with networks of churches. He works to help leaders get the equipping that they need. And then at the same time, he works to help build financial health within congregations for people. Like this is what John today, John does today. And John would tell you he is thriving right now like this. But this moment, I want to talk to you about this moment where, where John broke his ankle, where he says, I need to dig deeper. Because of this moment, John came face to face with God. And, and in this moment where he's face to face with God, the trajectory of his life changed. Second story I want to tell you, my brother, my brother kind of was in this season of life. He was, uh, you know, going to Champaign-Urbana. He was pursuing his dream. And at the same time, he was kind of living totally for himself. And then uh, this selfish living that he's in the midst of, it brings him to a crisis. He ends up, you know, without much money. Uh, he has this career path that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. He has uh, no place to live. Like he's at the end of himself. And the, the whole time he's here, um, I, myself, my mom, my dad, we are actively praying for my brother. My dad is like sharing the gospel with my brother week by week, telling him, hey, hey, just like read your Bible, get to know who God is. And so when my brother is brought to the end of himself, he actually gets this moment where he begins to see God for who he is. And this moment in his life was the beginning of a life changing trajectory. Like because of this moment, because he sees God for who he is, the trajectory of his life changes. So you may have your own examples of where like maybe you saw God face to face in a moment. God saw you, revealed himself to you, and the trajectory of your life changed. And here's the point. You know what? God, God actually orchestrates these situations. Like he puts his own energy behind these things to set these things up. And we see him for who he is. And then we have an opportunity to respond. You know what's crazy is that COVID-19, like this crisis that we're in, it's actually been that for some people. Like it's been that moment where where God has stopped people and caused them to consider him, met with them, shown them who he is. 
And perhaps even some of you would say that, that God has done that for you in this season, where this, this actually could be like a life-changing trajectory for you. So here's what scripture shows us. What we do with these moments, like these moments are incredibly important. Like these moments where God shows us himself, like how we respond to God when God shows up has massive implications for the trajectory of our lives. And sometimes, honestly, even our eternities from that point forward. So, So why do I say all of that? Well, the passage today actually gives us insight into one of those moments for Pharaoh. Pharaoh is actually going to come face to face with God. He's going to have a moment with God, and we get to see what he does with it. So uh, we've been going through Exodus. Uh, last week, we looked at plagues five and six, and we looked specifically at the way God cares for his people. And I really hope you were blessed by that to see God's care for his people. Today, we're looking at the seventh plague. So, so this story that we're looking at today, it teaches something about the nature of a thing that we call repentance. So so what kind of circumstances lead to repentance? What is repentance made up of? Why is it so important? And and then honestly, the story shows us uh, something about why sometimes what looks like and sounds like repentance isn't actually repentance at all. So before we look at any of that, I just wanna ask the simple question, what is repentance? You know, uh, other people have used synonyms for it, uh, called it something like turning or submission or surrender or change. And all these words kind of point to the same biblical concept. And so I want to I want to give you a very simple definition of repentance that you can carry with you. Repentance, very simply, is surrender to God's way over my way. Like if I could put repentance very simply for you, I'd say repentance is surrender to God's way over my way. And you know what? Um, this surrender, this this moment, this repentance, uh, it comes most often when we actually see God for who he is. And then we see ourselves in light of that. Like we, we see God for who he is. We see ourselves in light of that. It creates this moment where we come face to face with God. And these moments, they actually create great opportunity for genuine repentance. So if that's the case, our passage today as we walk through, it's going to help us to understand actually what makes for genuine repentance, genuine change, genuine surrender to God. As we go through the story, we're actually going to discover what makes for this kind of thing. So Exodus 9.13, that's where we're at this morning. Verse 13 says this, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So for what it's worth, these first couple of verses, they are a pretty straightforward warning. This is a warning about, uh, and we've seen Yahweh give these kinds of warnings to Pharaoh before, but then we see something unique in verse 15, and I want you to see this with me. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. So this is what God is doing. He's looking at Pharaoh and he's saying, hey, Pharaoh, don't miss who I am. Don't miss what I am able to do. I could have, you know, I've been slaying your gods one by one up to this point. 
I've been changing the power dynamics in Egypt. I've been orchestrating all of these situations. And Pharaoh, you need to know, but at this point, I could have turned you and your entire land into dust, but I haven't. Here's why, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God's meeting with Pharaoh. He has words for Pharaoh. And this is what he said. He says, Pharaoh, you know what? I've been been doing all of this for a purpose. Your hard heart, these plagues, you in your position, I've been orchestrating all of this. Why? Because actually, like, I want people to know who I am. I want to make sure that the world knows who I am. But Pharaoh, let's be clear. You are still lifting yourself up against me. So uh, there's a question. There's a resonant question. It's been kind of floating around on the surface as we've been looking through this story. God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, And then we see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And and these two verses actually push together this reality because God's saying, hey, I've been orchestrating this. I've been making all of this work. I've been showing you my power. And at the same time, you know what? You are still exalting yourself against me. So who is responsible here? Like, is it God or is it Pharaoh? Who's actually doing anything in this situation? You know, as we talk about this, um, this is uh, this. Uh, what we're dealing with is the core of a debate that has existed for a long time in Christianity. And, and, and a lot of people, they will go to one of two extremes. You know, who's responsible here, God or Pharaoh? A lot of people will say, you know what? Hey, humans make choices. Humans are totally free in their choices. They make choices, and God kind of just follows our lead. Like that's one kind of one extreme of things. And the other extreme says, you know what? God kind of decides and determines everything beforehand, and we kind of have no part in the process. We can't do anything about it. And and so those are the two extremes of this conversation. And people who hold staunchly to either perspective in this, they kind of fail to hold a mystery intention. So Alliance Bible Church, I want to tell you something that you need to get really comfortable with as you read Scripture. We hold a mystery intention, and that mystery is this. God is king over hearts, and we are responsible for our choices. As we read Scripture, both of these things hold true at the same time. And you know what? We recognize that Scripture tells us things that, like by human logic or even by our own Western mindset, that kind of don't make sense to us. They're hard to put together. But I tell you, Scripture has no problem holding these two things in tension at the same time. God is king over hearts, and we are responsible for our choices. And why do I even say that? I say that because in our story, God is making something very clear to Pharaoh. He's saying, you know what, Pharaoh? I've kind of I've orchestrated all of this for my purposes. I could have caused far greater destruction in Egypt. None of what has happened in this situation is surprising to me. I'm not taken aback by any of it. And I'm going to use all of it to make sure that people hear about me. Pharaoh, I am the I am. Like I am king. And yet at the same time, Pharaoh, you are still lifting yourself up against me. 
You know what's coming to the forefront here more than anything else is, is God's uh, sovereignty, God's power, God's control over everything. God's actually like management of the universe, his, his power and situations, his rule over the gods. All of this comes to the forefront here with these statements. And then as the story continues, it's it's interesting. We see God's power on one hand, but then but then we're actually going to see God's mercy on display on the other hand. The, the following verses actually display for us God's mercy in three really clear ways. So Exodus 9, 18 and 19, it says this, Behold, about this time tomorrow I'll cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt in, from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore sent, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. So I want you to notice this is the the most destructive plague by far up to this point. Like we're we're not just talking about little inconveniences. And the other plagues up to this point, they they've had impact on Egypt in some way, but but in, in some way they've all they have all kind of been very inconvenient. What we're talking about now though is that sheets of remarkably sized hail. Like maybe it's golf ball, maybe it's softball size, like who knows how big it actually is, but sheets of hail falling for what potentially could be days. Uh, imagine, so just imagine if that happened, like right now, like snap my fingers, it starts hailing like crazy. It doesn't seem possible because it's very beautiful out today, but imagine that was the case and uh, it, it just starts going crazy. Like what kind of damage and destruction would that cause to all of our infrastructure right now? This would, this would hit things really, really hard. And so what's amazing is that in the midst of this kind of most devastating plague that God has, has promised so far, what's amazing is that God offers Pharaoh and the Egyptians a way to be protected from the plague. So watch what happens. Verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So you know what? Uh, Yahweh, he offered a warning to the Egyptians. And he says, hey, you know what? Get your livestock out of the field. Put them away. Get your, your servants out of the field. Put them away. And as he does this, in this warning, he actually shows he shows the Egyptians a key aspect of how he relates to people. And that is this. He speaks with clarity through his word, and he blesses those who respond obediently. So the first way that we see God's mercy on display this morning in this passage is this. People get saved because they take Yahweh at his word. Like that's what we see with Egypt. Egypt isn't even a part of God's people. Egypt is actually like Egypt is full of darkness. It's full of people who are oppressing other people for their own gain. It's full of idolatry where people are worshiping created things rather than their creator. It's full of people who are lifting themselves up in pride and obstinance against God. And, and Pharaoh is like the example of this lifted up for us. And yet God offers them salvation. His mercy is on display. But that's not the only way. Verse 25. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. 
So you know what? We might be inclined to skip over this or think nothing of it because we talked about it last week. But 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 for just a second, I want you to uh, look at this from an Egyptian perspective with me. So Egyptians, what did they think of slaves? They thought slaves were subhuman. They thought slaves were like animals. So when they watch Yahweh and the way that he is specially protecting Israel, the first thing that goes through their head is who would do so much for people that we treat as animals? Like who what God fights for something that is so utterly low in society? And so the second way that the Egyptians are going to see God's mercy on display in this is that Yahweh specially protects his slave people. So you know what, Yahweh, he has a deep care and concern for the oppressed and marginalized. This actually becomes a a key motivation for how Israel is supposed to treat uh, those who are marginalized who come in their land. So, So Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 18, it says this. 17 says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner. The sojourner is a person who's wandering through Israel who does not have a home. Or to the fatherless, the person who is an orphan, or or take a widow's garment in pledge. All of these people who don't have any structures in society to support them. Verse 18, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. So, so Yahweh says, you were slaves, and, and as a result, I want you to care for people who are marginalized like you are marginalized. Like in this moment, God's mercy is displayed to Egypt in his consistent protection of these slave people. And he's showing the Egyptians the kind of mercy that he has for those who are oppressed and marginalized. Okay, so finally, I want you to read this note about the end of the plague in verse 31. This is what it says. Verse 31, the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in butt. But Verse 32, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. Finally, the, the last way that we see God's mercy on display for Egypt in this passage is that Yahweh saves food for Egypt. Like He could have wiped out all of their crops. He could have timed things very differently so that these crops would have been wiped out. But he actually stops short of wiping things out entirely to give Pharaoh a chance to respond, to actually create opportunity for there to be food left over. And so God, you know, Egypt is discovering that this God who is incredibly powerful at the same time, they're discovering that this God is incredibly merciful. So not only is his power on display, but his mercy is on display. And so so what's happening right now is Pharaoh is hitting his moment with God. Like God is showing himself to Pharaoh in a really powerful way. Pharaoh's starting to see him for who he is. And in church, I want you to know that this is simply a way that our God functions. Like God is constantly working to reveal his character to broken people. Don't miss this. God is constantly working to reveal his character to broken people. This is what he's doing with Pharaoh right now. This is what he's doing with Egypt right now. So let's consider real quick. What has he revealed to Pharaoh so far about himself? He's revealed to Pharaoh that he has absolute control of events, that uh, he provides Pharaoh a way out. Uh, He's revealing how he knows Pharaoh's heart. Uh, He's forming people who fear his word, right? That's what we see. 
He's still providing for Egypt and for for Pharaoh some level of blessings. Like some of the animals die, but but some of the animals are left. Some of the crops get destroyed, but some of the crops are left. The Nile is undrinkable, but it's only undrinkable for seven days. You, you see this like Yahweh. He's 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 showing something about his mercy to these people. He's showing that he is incredibly just, that he always does what is right. He's showing that he is incredibly powerful, control of all events, but he's also showing that he is full of mercy. So the next step, like if if Pharaoh is coming face to face with Yahweh, the next logical step is repentance, right? It's that change in trajectory. It's the surrender to God's way over my way. So this is Pharaoh's moment, and he has an opportunity for repentance, So let's go on. Verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Alliance Bible Church, do not miss this. Everything. Every piece that we see here, it looks and sounds like genuine repentance. Like Pharaoh, he admits his faults. You know what? And if we're honest, like his confession sounds better than most of our confessions. But it's and it's certainly like he, it seems like he is carrying the right kind of attitude with him into this situation. So don't forget what we're talking about. What does genuine repentance look like? Like what makes for genuine repentance? Yahweh shows himself to Pharaoh like he, he, he has this encounter with Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees God for who he is. And then Pharaoh responds here. He admits kind of what's going on. He admits his faults. And, and so here's a question. Is admitting your faults enough? Like, does admitting your faults fully accomplish repentance? Is it simply this or is it something more? Let's go on and see verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Moses says, you know what? Hey, man, I'll I'll pray. Um, I'll, I'll go to him. I'll ask him. But you need to know I can tell that your heart is not there yet. Verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. So so we have a problem. That problem is what we heard from Pharaoh sounded like repentance. But at the end of the day, there was no fruit. So what happened? Like, why didn't his admission of guilt take And the answer lies in his heart. Like his heart is still hard. He's still willingly hardening his heart. And Yahweh is reinforcing this process. And so so what Yahweh sees happening and what Moses knows is happening, but what Pharaoh is oblivious to at this point is this. His heart is only getting harder. In fact, I want to submit to you that, that Pharaoh has progressed from a hard heart to a dangerous heart. So what is a hard heart? A hard heart is full of pride and obstinance. 
Uh, a hard heart says, you know what? I'm not to blame. I'm the one in the right. I reacted like that because the circumstance demanded it of me. It's no problem that I did that. It's everyone else's fault. I can't be held responsible for this. Like this is, this is what a hard heart says. A, a hard heart's full of pride and obstinance. But a dangerous heart, a dangerous heart is very deceptive. So, so you might ask the question, you know, what was Pharaoh intentionally deceiving Moses and God at this point? And actually, I don't think he was. I don't think Pharaoh had it in his heart to intentionally deceive Moses and Pharaoh. But it seems from Pharaoh's perspective in this moment, it actually seems that he was being genuine. And, and I think the reason for that is this, that this kind of heart, it, it is even self-deceptive. So, so it says, you know what, I'll admit what I need to admit in order to avoid the consequences. Like I'll change enough just to get them to change what they need to change. Like at the core, actually, a dangerous heart, the reason it's so dangerous and the reason it's deceptive is that it's still operating with God in a very transactional nature. It's still trying to say, you know what, I'll give a little bit to get a little bit. That's still where Pharaoh is coming from with this. And, and you know what, it is an insidious version of pride that we see taking place here because it is false humility. It, it's something that says, uh, you know what, I'll give an admission of guilt for the sake of getting something back. Because at the core, the motivation is self-preservation. It doesn't care for the honor of another, but it's, it's entirely self-focused. And this is scary because this is something that is so hard to see in ourselves. Church, I want to tell you, this is why we see things in the Psalms. This is why David prays. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says all of this because he knows I don't even sometimes have the ability to understand what's going on inside of my heart. And so, Lord, I need you to search out my motivations. You know what? This is what we see Pharaoh exhibiting here. His heart is so hardened that he's even deceiving himself and trying to deceive God. So, okay. If that's the case, you know, the alternative that we actually could have seen here is a soft heart. And, you know, a soft heart is characterized by surrender. A soft heart quickly asks, how do I need to change? A soft heart, it humbly accepts whatever consequences might come. It looks at God and says, you know what, God, I surrender, not just to the circumstances that you've created, but I surrender to your right to do whatever it is that you want. So instead of uh, seeing that, Instead of seeing a guy with a soft heart, what we saw was a guy who has a hard heart still trying to get something, still trying to manipulate God, still trying to engage in transaction with God. And his deceptive, dangerous heart is being exposed as soon as things start to get, get better, right? As soon as he gets what he wants. And so the principle and the main point that I want us to see this morning is this. Genuine repentance is measurable. Like we actually, we would have known Pharaoh's repentance to be genuine if we would have seen this stick. And so the, the, the converse side of this is that false repentance is also measurable. So what? So what this morning? And I asked just one. Uh, that's all we're dealing with. One question. How could Pharaoh's repentance have looked different if it were genuine? So I just want to give you some simple steps for what genuine repentance could look like for you and what it could have looked like for Pharaoh. So, so the first thing I want to look at is that we need to recognize. 
we need to see God and self in light of who God is. That's that. That's this moment with God where God reveals himself as who he is, like he's all powerful and he's all merciful. Like we see God for who he is. We recognize ourselves in light of God. And then number two, what we do is we confess. Like we actually admit our fault to God. We, we recognize what it is that we've done wrong. Number three, then we commit. We say, God, okay, whatever your way is, I want to walk in that way. So for what it's worth, steps one, two, and three, we've seen these things from Pharaoh already. Like Pharaoh did all of these things. Pharaoh recognized his wrong. Pharaoh admitted to God actually what it was that he had done wrong. And Pharaoh committed to letting the people go. So what were the pieces that were missing? That's the next two pieces that we're going to look at. Number four, surrender. Pharaoh didn't surrender. Pharaoh had no ounce of surrender in his heart. You know what? Surrender is willing to become accountable no matter the cost. Pharaoh was accountable to no one other than himself. Even when he said, I'll let them go, at the end of the day, he didn't believe there was going to be any consequence for him going back on that. He wasn't willing to give something up. He didn't say, okay, whatever the Lord wants, no matter what it costs me. So surrender, you know what? Most people, the reason that most people don't start a relationship with God is because of this one. Because they're not willing to lose. They're not willing to give up whatever the Lord might call them to give up. And you know, the really ironic thing is that Pharaoh ended up losing more than he ever needed to. And the same is true for us. Like when we when we look at God obstinately and said, no, God, I don't want to give that up. The crazy thing is that we lose. Isn't that what Jesus says? Like, what, what does it stand to gain the whole world if you lose your soul in the process? So so surrender, recognizing, you know, God's power, God's mercy and saying, OK, God, whatever you want, I'm in for. Step five. So, so I'd say, you know what? Surrender is there. If surrender is there, then we're looking at genuine repentance. But the way that afterwards you can measure genuine repentance is that you look for the long-term fruit. You look for the long-term fruit over the, the long haul. Like we, we could have known if Pharaoh's repentance were genuine. If, you know, the, the, the Israelites actually leave Egypt, Pharaoh doesn't chase after them, right? Like we could have seen these things. And so, so we should look for some kind of results that come from repentance, some kind of long-term fruit. And these things, these, this is kind of what makes up, what makes for genuine repentance. So I could have said all that, and you might be listening, and, and, and you honestly might not be a Christian or, or questioning whether or not you even want to step into a deep relationship with God. And you might ask the question, like, how do I even know I want to repent? Like, how do I even know that I should surrender? How do I know that God is a God I can surrender to? And I just want to tell you two things about him. Number one, he is powerful. Like, he has sovereign rule over the universe. He, he has the power to control each piece. He allows and ordains and permits everything that happens in our universe. He is a big God. You know what? And at the same time, he is incredibly merciful. You know what? His mercy is displayed for us no place more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because he took people who were obstinate and who were prideful and who had lifted himself, lifted themselves up against him. And he said, I'm going to find a way to forgive them. 
I'm going to take their sins as far as the east is from the west. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to to bear the weight of the burden of our sin, the punishment that was due us, so that we might be set free from that and have a joyful relationship with our God. He is incredibly, incredibly merciful. So how do you know that God is a God you can surrender to? Well, he's powerful and he has more mercy than any being in all of creation. Soul Alliance Bible Church, my prayer this morning is that when we see God for who he is, that we would not just be content to make simple admissions or confessions, but that we would be a people who demonstrate soft hearts towards him. That we would be quick, people quick to surrender to God's way and people among whom that the fruit of repentance can be measured for us over the long haul. That's my prayer for us this morning. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, I don't preach these words as a person who is telling other people what they need to do. But Lord, I I, I preach these words as a person who is recognizing that you are calling me to the very same things. Lord, I am not a sinless person and we are not sinless people. We all have depths of things inside of us that you are trying to address. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the way that we go at those things The way that we do it is we do it with simple confessions, simple admissions, without being willing to deal with it, without being willing to surrender to you. And so, Lord, I pray in this season where we're looking, we're letting you dig at our hearts as we look at even what the future might be for our church. I pray in this season, Lord, that you would make us people who are quick to surrender to you. That's my heart for myself. That's my heart for my church family. So Lord, would you let these things happen? Lord, I thank you that you are so patient with us. I thank you that you are so gracious to us. I thank you that your power is displayed so clearly to us, but then your mercy is displayed so clearly to us as well. Lord, let these things sit in our heart and change us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close this morning, uh, there's one last song. And, and it's probably a song that you are not familiar with. So I want, I want to encourage you, take this song as an opportunity to reflect. Let the words hit your heart. Uh, be in prayer as we listen to this song. And then uh, you, before you go, uh, again, we have the chat room down below. Just say, how did God use this message to teach, train, challenge, encourage, or equip you? If you could answer that question for us and honestly just say bye to everyone in the chat room, that would be amazing. Elias Bible Church, I want to thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to be able to share God's word with you week in and week out in the midst of this weird pandemic, all of this. Thank you for for sticking together in all of this. Thank you for taking care of my family. I am honestly so grateful for you, and it has been a joy for me to worship with you this morning. Thanks so much for worshiping with us.